welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Jeremy Spann. Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners who you are and where you're from? Yeah. So Jeremy Spann, Fort Worth, Texas. I grew up in a small, well, it used to be a small town south of Fort Worth. Actually, it was very rural. Now it's not, now it's like the hip place to live. Farmland turned into uh, developments. I dropped out of high school when I was 17. I went to the Marines and uh, their attitude adjustment program was pretty good. Uh, got me back on track, got me straight. So after six years doing that, I got out. I uh, spent about 17 years with Fort Worth PD during my time. I went to school full time, got my undergrad in foreign policy, was going to leave in 2006, the night of my graduation. My partner was killed in the line of duty, so I felt an obligation to stay. I did that, joined, got on the promotion track, and, uh, and as I was climbing through the ranks where Somebody thought it might be a good idea to make me a deputy chief one day, said I needed to get a graduate degree. So I had hmm. gone back to TCU, did their executive MBA program, and about one class weekend into it, thought, man, my life can be a lot better than being a cop. So even though I'd climbed through the ranks and had pretty good success, I'd also had this entrepreneur spirit that had always driven me. So I got picked up by a commercial firm by one of the alumni. I went and spent a couple of years doing uh, commercial investments. And then uh, my wife had sold her boutique real estate company to Sotheby's in 2015. And she agreed to stay on and manage for two years. So in August of 2016, she said, hey, why don't you get your residential credentials and come over here and do this with me? And we said, okay. And then... Uh, that's where I drifted off into the residential space, focused on building uh, an incredible team, know a lot about building teams, especially in Marine Corps. And, uh, and then from there, uh, since 2018, we've been the number one producers for Sotheby's International Realty here in Fort Worth. And I believe this last year in 2021, out of 4,000 licensed agents, I believe that's roughly how many there are, we rank number six in production. Awesome. Quite the intro and uh, appreciate your service in the military as well as being a police officer for this yeah, great Thanks nation. for being so, worth thank it. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate that. So, you know, you mentioned your story of getting into the real estate industry when you went to get your MBA. You then were, were kind of recruited, invited, interested in joining this commercial firm, and that then transitioned into residential. So, you know, being a, a previous number one team, now number six out of over 4,000 agents, you know, in, in the area, you know, what is that business still active? You're still, still, oh, yeah. You know, with yeah. That? So, how many transactions did you do last year to, just to give like the, the context for my listeners? And I have some follow up questions. Yeah, probably, it, was, it was probably just right around 100 transactions. We did 44 million in listings and buyers just here in the Fort Worth area for 2021. And awesome. uh, that doesn't include the 4 million in production we turned down through 2021 because we didn't feel like those particular clients were meant to be a fit for us or we mm. weren't a fit for them or they didn't want to follow our processes where we just, you know, sometimes 
you got to say no to some business in order to be successful at your good business. Absolutely. And, and we're going to talk about that because you have some very interesting strategies there. But first, I'm curious what advice you would give to a broker out there that might be doing 20 million, maybe maybe even 30, and they want to level up to 40, 45 million, uh, go from 50 to 100 transactions, You know, make that right. next leap. Man, and being a, just even a, a single broker with uh, an assistant, that's a lot of work, right? And it's a lot of transactions. It's a lot of effort. Is I would focus on finding the right people to put on your team. I have been very, very specific to not hire anybody that's been in the industry. I didn't want anybody that was licensed. I didn't want anybody that had any sort of habits of this is the way it's always been done. I'm a very unorthodox, out-of-the-box thinker. And so I wanted to be able to help train new folks that came on to follow the processes uh, that we have. A friend of mine in uh, Aspen, uh, Chris Klug, uh, who, who got a bronze medal in downhill many years ago. He's one of the top producers for Sotheby's up there. And, and he and I were talking one day and I said, man, how do you get a bronze medal? I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's, that's pretty high performing. And he said, you know, if I told you, you'd laugh. He said, uh, my dad always taught me plan your path, then ski your path. Because when you deviate, that's when you run into problems. And it just, became this business methodology to me. It doesn't mean that you can't alter your process, but one-off deviations are what's going to drag you outside your wheelhouse of where you need to be to operate at the best performance level you can. And if you want to be able to do more, then you have to have the right people. And which is really hard Mm. to do too, especially in today's day and age of finding that right talent. And so I was looking for for folks that had that fire in their belly. They wanted to get busy and get to work. Matter of fact, I think I overshot that. I've had to buy like eight vacations in the last three years because my people won't take off. And I'm like, look, here's a first class plane ticket. Here's the resort. Go enjoy yourself. Get out of town. I need you to reach. Matter of fact, I got a house up in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, where the guy that I brought on, also a Marine, uh, did his MBA at TCU as well. I made him fly up yesterday to go use my house in the mountains because I was like, just go away. Don't answer your phone for like five days. I need you to recharge. So if you treat your people right and you find that right talent and they don't come with any bad habits of being in the industry, then you have a real opportunity to grow your business very successfully and very rapidly. Yeah. And big focus on team. So absolutely. You mentioned you mentioned, you know, being in the Marine Corps and having that have an effect on your team building ability. And then you you also mentioned a little bit before the podcast this concept of you know, having this a survey for clients and, and you probably do some personality or business indexes for your team members too. So I'd love for you to shed some light on that. Yeah, absolutely. We use a system called Culture Index and it's often confused with Myers-Briggs, DISC and all the other 50 other ones that are out there. But the difference in Culture Index is it's the fastest survey that somebody can take that if the person taking it is being candid, will give you the most accurate perception of how they process information, which Mm -hmm. is hugely important because we feel that clarity creates trust and confusion creates fear. Fear doesn't move the needle, but trust does. I'll give you a prime example. My wife and I are very, very different. We have extreme results. 
You have people that are what we call closer to the line, which are more normal. People that are further from the line, which like she and I are, that are abnormal, but she's abnormal opposite of me. So for an example is she is an internal processor. She wants all of the details and she wants to have time to think about things. She truly wants to know how the watch is built. She will read an entire email. Whereas me, I want it in three bullet points. How are we going to win? How are we going to go fast? Tell me what time it is, not how the watch is built. Now, the reason this is so important is if you tried to explain things to me the way she prefers to process it, you would bore me to tears and you would lose me 30 seconds into it. Right. And it probably doesn't help that I'm ADHD like a squirrel on methamphetamines anyway. So I'm like, I don't want to listen to all those details. How do we win? Give it to me in three bullet points. I'm not going to read the email. I'll read the subject line. Whereas her, if you presented information to her the way I prefer to process it, you would confuse her to death. She'd have a lot of un- unanswered questions. She would be you know, not very much at ease. And so the reason this survey is really important is because we can look at somebody's results and say, hey, is this someone that we send a lengthy email to or is this someone we pick up the phone and call? Is this someone that the sky's always falling because they have a high sense of urgency? Or is this somebody, hey, we need to kind of light a little fire under them because it's, you know, they're more methodical and more patient. Is this somebody that doesn't think outside the box and really cares about rules? Or is this somebody unorthodox that doesn't think about rules as much? And that helps us present that information, which we usually generally find, especially when you're dealing with a family buying a house, that the spouses have different indexes. And so if their survey traits are different, if you're, you know, if you take me and my wife, for example, is if we were buying a house and there was questions and I was looking at our traits, I would send Laura all the details that you could possibly send and she'll read every one of them. And then with me, if I had questions, I would just pick up the phone and go, hey, what's up? I'll ask you questions. We'll get through it and then we'll move faster. Gives us both that clarity and comfort. Makes sense. And one of my top broker clients, he refers to uh, his own type of that personality index where he, he labels them something that he can understand very easily. And it's like the bulls are the ones that are like you. They quickly just want bullet points and a phone call. Let's seal the deal, handshake, keep moving. Uh, and, and then the owls are the ones that are reading every line, reading the fine print, clicking a privacy policy, reading like going (laughs) into the nth degree. And and then he has a couple of other, it's four of them. There's bulls, owls, and the two others, but same kind of concept. You need to know who you're talking to in order to effectively communicate to them in the way that they understand, not the way that you understand, but in the way that they decipher information and understand that's proper communication. The reason that's so important is, you know, doing a hundred transactions in a year, I know a lot about real estate. But people that are buying and selling houses, and they might have only done one or two in their entire lifetime. And a trap that we can get caught in is we feel like we're having a conversation in the mirror with someone who understands what we're talking about. And more so than not, they they don't. It's called the law of familiarity. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. We live in this industry and this jargon is thrown around so often it seems normal. And the things that we've forgotten about are revolutionary to the layman and average consumer. It's things oh, that they've never heard. Yeah, 100%. And you know, and here's the thing too is if you know, we're not big in advertising. 
you know, we, we, we spend very, very little on advertising. That's why I laugh when people go, oh, you should spend more money on being the centerfold of whatever. And I'm like, that's not true. I don't believe that. I believe that we would rather get business from people who have done business with us that want to see their friends and family taken care of just like we took care of them. And so that's where the majority of our business comes from. And as a matter of fact, James that I brought on my team, his sole job is to do nothing but relationship building with past, current, and potential future clients. And that's his sole job. That's all he does. He doesn't have to do any of the brain damage and paperwork or contracts or showings or listings. His job is to do that. And then when the client is ready to effectively hand them off to the team where that expert is, you know, because usually when you hear a team, right, it's all right, who am I going to get whored out to uh, because your team is so big? Well, we're very, we all understand how to do each other's jobs, but we're very specific on who it goes to. So if it's going to be somebody looking to be a buyer, then we put them with Rianne because Rianne is the subject matter expert in buying a house. If they're going to list the house, we put them with Michelle because she's the subject matter expert in, in how to list and get the most bang for your buck. If it comes to a compliance question or just general knowledge about the industry, then my wife, Laura, answers that. I mean, she's got a law degree and over 20 years of experience in the industry. And if it comes down to things that are that are maybe complex in transaction nature, then we go to Lynn. And that's what Lynn does, which might leave you to wonder, what the hell do I do? Which is nothing. I just sit back and let them do all the good work because that's exactly what they do. Well, that's the value of building a, a proper team around you that has clear strengths, clear expectations of who fields what inquiry, and they're just working, which is great. Yeah. One of the questions I have for you is through your, you know, through your careers that you've had, what is the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis that you attribute most to your success? Yeah, that one's an easy one for me is be purposeful with your routine, right? Hmm. And now for me, people out there like me, it probably rings a little bit more to you because I am not regimented by nature. And so I start off my morning the same way. And I can tell the days when I skip my routine because I am like a, a messed up ball of yarn the whole day. And so I utilize it's something called the Oak Journal. There's all kinds of these different Evo and everything else. So it's a 90-day journal. And uh, and so in that Oak Journal, what I do is I have a 10-10-10 morning. Is I use an app on my iPhone called Calm, and I do peaceful meditation, which I'm not a very peaceful person, just being a Marine in general. So it's, i got to be very intentional about 10 minutes of just breathing and owning my own time and learning to, to be calmer because you do have to learn to be patient. I'm not a patient person by nature. So this helps me absorb that. And then I do 10 minutes of reading, right? And then I do 10 minutes of journaling. And then the start of that journal is writing down three things that I'm grateful for. And that's how you set your mindset for the day. Then when I'm done with that, I check all my emails. I get rid of a bunch of them because most of the emails are just, you know, waste of time and all that. And then I set my calendar where even on my phone, I use the alarm. So like prior to here, I had an alarm that said, okay, get ready. And then another one that said, hey, in five minutes, you're going to be on this show. So it's reminding me again. So that way I'm not late to something. And then even if I have a call, I, I got an alarm that reminds me in five minutes, you got a phone call. Because when you build consistency 
it, where people will say, okay, if he said he's going to call at nine o'clock in the morning, he's going to call at nine o'clock in the morning on the dot. And that builds trust. But more importantly is what that does for me is as humans, we have such a bad habit of breaking promises to ourselves every single day that eventually you're going to break promises to other people. So if I keep this promise to myself that I'm going to do this routine, then I am more likely to carry out the promises that I deliver to other people. Probably a lot longer. You're probably expecting like a 30-second movie preview, so I apologize if that was a little longer. No, that's all right. And I was listening to Tony Robbins' personal power this morning when I was making breakfast, and what he was talking about at that particular section was uh, you know, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And it was funny because it was kind of like this little extra excerpt where he's doing the audio tape, but you could hear the studio engineer commenting and they did it like after the tape rolled, it was like this little bonus section. And, and the studio engineer said, Oh, this section is going to be two and a half minutes. You should restate that it's two and a half minutes to stay in integrity. And he like said that to Tony and then Tony said, ah, you read my book, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, if you say, you know, hey, I'm going to call you at nine, you call them at 903, might not seem yeah. like a big deal to you. But what did they just take note of? Mm-hmm. He's not going to stick 100% to what he says. And, so- and that just snowballs. And I love how you talk about how it starts with you, mm-hmm. right? Your commitment to yourself. That's how it all starts. And Sorry. I... Uh, I learned that concept in in sales as well. Like when you you have a sales call, and it's at the two thirty coming up in five minutes, you have you know the minute before you have their phone number dialed, your phone open, and the second it turns to two thirty, you hit dial so that immediately it's ringing through, and that honors their time. It shows that you're you're punctual and you respect their time, and and you'll be honoring your word when you say something. So you just said one of the most hot buttons with me is the respect of people's time is mm. I've got a 21 year old daughter off at college and the way I've raised her is to respect people's time because time is a commodity you cannot buy more of and you can't get a refund on it once spent and That's reputation right. you cannot buy with money. You can only build with time, but you can ruin it in a matter of seconds and over a single dollar. So if you respect people's time, they're going to remember that and they are going to gift you more of their time. I mean, I've got I, I've got people that I can call that people are astounded that like, wow, you know, like, you know, Governor Rick Perry will answer your 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 phone or, you know, the former commandant of the Marine Corps will answer your phone call. Yeah, because I've always respected their time. They know that I'm not just going to call or, you know, waste any of their time and everything. But it starts with being able to have that honest conversation with yourself. So prior to the pandemic, I'd go around and do a lot of public speaking engagements. And the title of it was The Person in the Mirror. And I would always tell people, look, the biggest liar in the room at any given time is the person in the mirror. And we all lie to ourselves, you know, from priest to president. You know, I mean, I had one of those. Moments uh, uh, last week, had one of my out-of-town guests that had flown in uh, to be on my show. We finished recording in the studio. We went for an old-fashioned. And at some point after the second one, I was like, oh, you know, I'll be okay with the third and the fourth. And man, let me tell you, the next day of recording suck, right? But I lied to myself. (laughs) But if you're honest with yourself, then there's nothing that can stop you. 
right? The only person that can tell you what you can and can't do is the person in the mirror. So if you can't have an honest conversation with the person in the mirror, how can the rest of your clients, friends, and family believe any conversations if you can't be honest with yourself? Very astute point. So something else that you mentioned about your internal systems within your brokerage is that you don't use comps. Mm -mm. That might be very surprising to my listeners. So I would love if you could elaborate on that. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is what is a comp now? Anyways, the market is is so fast and changing that what's on a PDF of what's happened over the last six months might not even matter. So what we've done is we've created a proprietary analysis that we take several years of data and we get real micro into an area. So instead of going, hey, maybe 76109, then you go, okay, well, this neighborhood, and then now more so these streets, right? And what you do is you look at what the data says over the last four years. And especially in a market where we have a lot of demand and very limited inventory, people are you know paying more than what's list for these houses. We have found that appraisers will utilize our analysis to appraise the house. Because they're sitting there looking at it as I, I just look math for Marines. I'll keep it simple on the, the round numbers, right? Is if you got a house that you're able to show that over the last four years consistently has been growing by $10 a square foot, right? And let's say now there are no more $100,000 houses, but I'm not looking at spreadsheets. So I'll keep it you know simple again is unless you got a house that's $100,000. And you're like, man, I need to, I need to go in at $110,000 in order to win this thing. Well, you're able to look at the data to say, hey, man, within the next several months to a year, that house is actually going to hit at that $110,000 value. So that helps mm-hmm. the appraisers get to the value. But more so is instead of a client saying, well, I don't want to overpay for the house, we create the conversation to be like, you're not overpaying for it. You're prepaying for the house. It's going to take a few more months to catch up. And I'll give you a prime example of how that happened. We had this very odd situation that happened with one of our clients February of last year. I won't go into details, give a bunch of lawyers and all that other stuff involved. And so the seller ultimately did not want to sell the house. And we were like days from closing the house. So this client of mine, who's been a repeat client, said, well, what, what should I do here? And I said, well, buy the house. I said, you need to fight for this thing. One, he's the one that's in breach of specific performance, not you. You've done everything you said you would do along the way and per the contract. And I said, man, I'm looking at the analysis of this area. And this house was for $475,000. I said, in the next 18 months, this house is going to be valued at $575. You're going to create $100,000 in, in value in equity growth based on the financial performance of what's going on in that area. Now, it's not a crystal ball. I'm not an Ostradamus. I could be wrong, but I haven't been wrong yet. And he, he goes, okay. Well, it took him a year to be in the fight, and he finally closed on it in the end of March. Well, he had to get another appraisal done before closing. I was wrong. It did not grow at 100,000 in 18 months. It grew at 150,000 in 12 months on the appraisal. So this client of mine was able to basically buy a house with $150,000 meat on the bone. He just had to wait a year to get it. And that's how we were able to deliver value to our clients because it allows us to structure the conversation around, hey, look, the days and ages of buying a house and living in a house forever with the white picket fence and the big trees in the yards, Look, this is a financial instrument for you. 
in this financial instrument, you're likely to probably sell it in the next couple of years and go buy the next bigger and best thing or downsize or whichever that may be. So to be able to paint a financial performance picture for them allows them to make better, more sophisticated uh, financial decisions on purchasing a house. It's really smart. And that is definitely a conversation that would resonate with a buyer or a seller. At the end of the day, they have this ambition to own a piece of property. And if you really unravel that, the core primal trigger there is greed. Like they want their money to grow. (laughs) And and so without tapping into that primal trigger, making them feel bad about it, that can be transitioned into ambition. And you can say, look, if you prepay for this house, in a year, it's going to be worth 100K more. And in this case, it was 150 based on the current trends. We're at, uh, you know, we're 10 years underbuilt. We have massive lack of inventory. All indicators state that there's not going to be any type of real estate correction anytime soon. So why not overpay a little bit? Because it's not overpaying, it's prepaying. I love that positioning. That's really great. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about this too is, the conversation could be even created in a situation like that is, would you rather pay $625 for a house or $475 for that same house? Well, naturally, someone's going to say, well, I'd rather pay $475 for a $625 house. Okay, that's a prime example of how we're doing that. And you know, and you're absolutely right. You're 100% right is, I don't care about what all these folks are saying. You know, there's a bubble, there's all of this. No, like there's a lot of things that are different. What's going on and what was going on in 2008 and the years leading up to 2008. Right. And actually, I believe it was because we stopped building for so many years after 2008 is why we're in the situation we're in right now. Absolutely. Because we stopped building. Okay. Population kept growing, but scarcity of market became more scarce. And this is a supply and demand thing. And then, then you look at you know what the pandemic brought. And I try to explain to folks, it's like, look, we were already having issues prior to March of 2020. For months leading up to that, actually, in my opinion, it was about 18 months leading up to prior to the pandemic, we were having a labor shortage, right? In other words, what would take four months to build was now taking six months to build. We're having a harder time finding trades and the costs of building were already going up because instead of paying an electrician, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour, now you got to pay him 40 bucks an hour, this cost that we're going to go up. But you combine that with supply chain disruptions, which cannot magically be solved under overnight because Washington, D.C. says, I'm going to wave a magic wand, we're going to fix supply chain today. Okay, well, maybe you saw like a YouTube video on that, but I'm pretty sure I got $100,000 MBA from TCU. It says, nope, that's not how that works. So <laughs> just between the two of these things, trying to work themselves out, is going to keep us in a scarce marketplace for an additional five years. And then even then, it's not going to be balanced. It's going to take an additional five years just to try to catch up to some bit of normalcy. There's only a couple of things that you can do to reduce that type of activity. One, raise interest rates, right? Okay, well, do we really think that people in Washington, D.C., will go ahead and hike these things up like they did in the 80s? No, because they want to get reelected, right? I mean, they're thinking about getting reelected and staying in there. My first house was 9%. So even with my own personal reason, I have a real estate fund. I buy on an average about a million to $2 million worth of assets a week. And I can tell you right now is when my banker told me on my last set of closings here a week before last, he goes, hey, man, it's going to be 5%. I was like, okay. He goes, man, one of my other clients are, are upset. I was like, hey, look, man, if it's below 6%, to me, that's still free money. And my first asset I bought was 9%. So it's all relative. 
the numbers still match, the numbers still look good. I'm still going to make money. We're still going to have a lot of value growth. So I think it's to be able to understand that it's really not a complex nature, but people make it a complex nature. And it's Mm -hmm. like, look, you can't build houses fast enough to keep up with that demand. No other way is for people to stop buying houses. Okay, well, where are they going to live, right? I mean, have you seen apartments here lately? You can't even go find, you can't even, you can't even buy apartment, you can't even rent an apartment in the hood for less than a thousand dollars a month, and you might get shot at out in the parking lot, right? I mean, it's just, you know, I make jokes about that, but it's true. You can't, so you got to have somewhere to live. And really, we're a big concern that we should all be focused on is that affordable housing? Because what do we do? Because look, you got to have your laborers, right? You got to have your blue collar workers. I grew up as a blue collar worker, grew up in an environment where they didn't have a lot of money. You know, I've lived on both sides of this environment. And if folks start running out of places to live, how are we going to get them in here to do that work, that $15 an hour work, that $10 an hour work of these jobs that have to be done because they're a part of the bigger picture? So I think that's really the big thing that is the communities we need to kind of figure out. And I don't know what the solution is. But there is a solution if we all, we got a lot of smart people in this country, we can get together and figure that out. Because if we don't, even people that need a house, that absolutely need a house, where are they going to live? Well, the market typically settles that by itself. So I'm, I'm a bit of a free market capitalist. I don't believe in rent control or artificial controls, things of that nature. Uh, you know, I, I've found that uh, the market typically helps to just solve those problems and will create certain opportunities that real estate investors come in and you know renovate and fix up certain properties that have become dilapidated and and there's just this natural progression of real estate where it goes through this brand new shiny new phase and then this regression phase and then this renewal phase again and it's it you know it, uh, it keeps happening all around you you know you you drive around there are always distressed properties out there and you know you you think that there one day everything will be pristine but then that's 10 years in the future and now there's you know a bunch of new distressed properties that haven't been <laughs> updated in 10 years or 15 or 20 years and some sneak through for even longer so yeah it's it's an interesting place to be in the real estate industry thinking about these macroeconomic problems but to bring it back down to you know the real estate sales on the day to day and you know how to how to run operate a team how to take things to the next level what I'm what I'm really curious about what you said is you know not doing any types of advertising and you know for me I own an advertising agency so I I would love to have this discussion with you live on the air for a lot of different reasons. So I want to start it with this premise. I've done extensive market research in real estate and what it means to be a real estate professional in terms of the emotional trigger you need to pull in order for someone to do business with you, to choose you over the other guy or the other gal. And all signs point back to one feeling that needs to be evoked within a person in order for them to choose you over the other do you want me to tell you what it is? Let's hear it. Trust. 100%. Not telling you anything that you don't know. And you just say 100% right off the bat. Makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. You are a knowledgeable professional helping them with something that they do not do frequently, that they do not have the skills to do on their own. Yeah. So this is something that has massive consequences. If they do it wrong, it only happens a couple of times throughout their life. All signs point to 
they'll they'll shy away from something innovative and shiny and new for someone that they can trust, that they know you know what you're doing, you have the best interest in mind. Well, that's an authority brand. And one of the best ways for authority brands to maintain authority is to always have top of mind awareness. So if you are not advertising, or like you said, you have someone that's in touch with your clients all the time and that's their role and it's you're constantly staying top of mind that way, then you are often forgotten about that four or five years later. I think the statistic is 72% of consumers forget the real estate agent they did a transaction with you know, four years after the sale. And, and so why is that? Well, they're not continuously advertising and staying top of mind, whatever advertising means to you. you know, It doesn't have to be paid ads. It could be what you guys are doing, which is more of a, a organic grassroots outreach you know, phone calls, you know, meeting up for drinks, do, going golfing. seems like that guy's job is awesome on your team. He, he gets to go have fun all the time with your, with your clients. As he but, says, uh, it doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with that, is that pretty much the strategy to stay top of mind? Is that, you know, this, this one guy who just touches all your clients all the time? So what I first want to start off with is I, I want to make sure the audience does not think that I believe in any sort of rent moratoriums or controls or anything else. Kind of going back to that real quick. I'll just touch on that. For oh, a second. yeah. I do think that was the biggest injustice that was ever done in this country. And I don't care what side of the aisle you want to blame because all that, both that sides stifles are, growth. It, yeah, it just stifles it was, growth. Yeah. Well, not only that, but more importantly, is that absolutely violated with the Constitution of the United States meant with property rights, right? So I just want to make sure that any of the audience doesn't think that I think of the solution is control of rents or anything. I just say, I don't know what the solution is. It's just a bunch of smart people. I'm sure we get together and figure that out. I do agree with you is that markets have a tendency to work themselves out. Just don't want to do that at the detriment of you know, hey, we do got to have folks in here that are swinging hammers and stuff, right? Not not everybody's Absolutely. CEO of a company, right? Uh, so I just want to make sure that, you know, the audience, and then secondly, is I want to make sure that I didn't communicate with you that I don't think that there's a value in advertising. I believe that there's a huge value in advertising. Our personal niche, this works for us because we designed a team around it to work, right? Mm. And it took me five years to do that. This was not abracadabra overnight, right? <laughs> it is you do need to have a an advertisement plan. It just so happens that ours is James Peterson, right? And it was me <laughs> before that, right? I mean, that's where we evolved as we were growing the team. That's what I was out doing in that. And the way to grow that, you said something that you're absolutely right, is if you're not top of mind, how many times in the industry have any of us been and you find out that a very good friend of yours sold their house and used their neighbor and you're like, hey, the what worst. the hell, man? What am I chopping? You're like, man, <laughs> you I didn't even think of it, right? Because they don't, they don't think about it every day. They're not thinking about buying and selling real estate like we are every day. Right. And, and so, so you're 100% right. And what part of James's role is, is his job is to control our brand. Right. Which means communicating with people. And if I had to be fully transparent, I don't know that we would be as effective at this if we didn't live in a post pandemic world. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, because in March of 2020, it changed everything. Right. Because now people for the first time, well, they had time on their hands. We live in such a busy world with Social media, iPhones, technology, Netflix, Hulu, Jobs, Uber, whatever. People are busy and it didn't slow down. Well, for us, 
is what we saw is the world slowed down, which also meant for a lot of households, you found out you either really loved your spouse or you really didn't when you're locked up for 90 days with them. And then for many of people out there, they were like, I love my kids, but I can't stand them because I've been around them for 90 days straight, right? And so that's why swimming pools were making a killing, right? Because they were like, at least I can let them go outside and go swimming and get away from me. Is uh, You saw it. You could sit here and see people walking and riding bicycles with their families. And I, and I saw that. I thought that to be very interesting because would people continue that after the world started to pick back up? You know, this thing that we're on right now, Zoom. I mean, how many people had heard of Zoom in February of 2020, right? You had, I would say. Yeah, most hadn't, right? I mean, Amazon Prime making a killing, right? Getting stuff delivered. And so for us, what we found is that was an opportunity to strike while the iron is hot because most people are so busy, you text them, you don't call them because they don't have time to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Well, for 90 days... People had nothing. They were glad to talk to you, even if they didn't like you because it wasn't the spouse or the kids, right? (laughs) You know, and, uh, you know, and so that gave us the opportunity to seize this moment to grow our brand by building these relationships, calling and checking on people, being able to do what God designed us to do. Two ears, one mouth. In other words, use your mouth to ask questions. Use both of your ears to listen to what they were talking about. Right. What their concerns were, what, you know, what, what they wanted in life. You know, yeah, you know, me and Sally are getting divorced. Well, psh, there's a listing. Right. And then uh, and both of them going to need somewhere to go, you know, or yeah. Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're empty nesters now. OK, sounds like it's time to downsize. Holy cow. I got this new great job offer, but it's remote. So I no longer have to live. In Fort Worth, Texas, I can go live in Colorado. So you hear these things, and then you translate that into potential business. And for us, that's what's working right now. But one of the things I always tell the team is what works today may not work tomorrow. You got to be ready to pivot. You got to be agile. But that's what works for us now. If March of 2020 had not happened, then for us to grow the way we've grown, I do believe that I wouldn't have had to go get a professional to help us expand our brand to help put that trust out there. So I hope that answers the question of did the pan, you know, is the pandemic responsible for our version working? I think so, but who knows? I don't have I don't really have an accurate sample to go, well, we weren't doing it prior to a pandemic that it was effective then after a pandemic to know is that the real source? But I do sure. believe that if somebody wants to be aggressive and, and grow their business, you need to have reliable people that can help you do that, right? You don't go ask a dentist to do heart surgery, right? You know, and so if you're going to try to do your advertising on your own, well, unless you're a subject matter expert at it like you are, why are you wasting your time doing that, right? I have a wealth manager because I don't want to day trade. Hey, this is, that's how he makes a living is growing money. What the hell do I know about it, right? Yeah, I took finance and accounting and all that, my MBA, but I'm not an expert in growing my wealth. He is. So I do believe that there is an absolute place in this earth for marketing and advertisement professionals like yourself. And if someone hasn't gotten fortunate enough or lucky enough, uh, like like we did, to just kind of stumble onto our strategy during a pandemic, then they should be calling someone like you. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense. And my other question, which you you kind of answered, was scaling. How do you scale Jeremy? Right? How do you go from forty four million to a hundred million with with still Jeremy trying to go golf with every single person? Right? Like it gets burdensome when it's human when it's tied down to a human. But to your point, if you can then duplicate that personality and the and those habits and systemize it and then be able to scale up, you realize what the cap is, and then you're like, okay, for every. 40 million in production, we need one of these client liaisons. And then, you know, you just keep duplicating it. Then that's the system now, right? It's not only dependent upon you, which a lot of brokers, they can try to teach their team to, you know, call their clients, but it ends up being the head broker still making those A plus calls and still doing a lot of that, that hard work to stay in touch, to stay top of mind manually. Right. And so it becomes really yeah. cumbersome. So I think the key takeaway there, honestly, is still goes back to that team building ability that you have because yeah. you handed it off to Jeremy. If you were still doing that stuff, you might be like, Jeff, help. <laughs> no, you're, 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 you couldn't be more accurate. Is real estate for the most part has been very linear, right? A, then B, then C, then all the way to the closing at Z, right? And so what we did is we just, we made it like a, a, an accordion that we brought it in and made it vertical. We're able to operate in various capacities, but most importantly is controlling our pipeline. Like we even have, and, and I'll be happy in an offline conversation with you and share it with you, is we even have an analysis sheet for new clients, right? Before they even take the survey that tells us what is the likeliness of when this client's going to be ready to buy and sell. Now, hmm. That we were doing prior to the pandemic that when, when there were things that were a lot more predictable, I could actually fill out this analysis sheet and say, this person, based on the answers on this, they're likely to close within a plus or minus a week of this, of this time period and within plus or minus $5,000 of a certain price. Because of the questions that we asked, which is great for your pipeline, right? And then so altered some as we entered, you know, this new strange world we live in. But still, that's what James does is his job is to control the pipeline. And it's to be a team. When Rianne is like, hey, you know, let's let's say Rianne is, is comfortable handling 20 buyers at a time. And let's say she's got... Uh, five under contract, five pending, and five that are getting ready to close, where she's only working with five, she could tell James, hey, I'm ready for the next five. And James knows where everybody is in his pipeline of folks, because that's his job is to keep his thumb on the pulse to go, hey, and then he could go through that 15, 20, or whoever he has to see what that next five people is that, that is more likely because you don't want to have any false start. You don't want to put somebody, you don't want to put somebody in, in, in the game if they're really not going to be ready for another year. And that's right. him asking questions. Same thing with listings. Michelle can say, hey, we've got X amount. We're ready for a couple more listings. And then he can call and say, hey, who's ready here? You know, let's do this, so forth, so forth. Kind of understand you get that from asking those questions of those people. So that way he's accurately feeding the pipeline to the team, but not overwhelming the team at the same time. No, it makes sense. And that's really smart. I mean, it all depends on the questions you're asking because the person asking questions is guiding the conversation. So yeah, it seems like, you know, you, you have this setter 
goes out there, builds relationships, but is always listening and then getting feedback from the team. Hey, we need a couple more listings. And then in his conversations like, oh, well, hey, this person, you know, they're coming up on time. Like, let's have, let's go have a follow-up call with them and, and lock them down, make an introduction. So that's, that's awesome. Sounds like a great system. And uh, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't scale outside of the pandemic era as we continue move into kind of more of like normal times again, uh, just as long as you keep duplicating people. And it seems like that's something that you're really good at is building the team out and yeah. providing instruction. So I, I can't uh, I emphasize just, enough on it's the right people. Be mm-hmm. very intentional, very slow to pick the right people that are going to be a fit to work with each other. It's one of the things that we did is every time we added a person to the team, even though Laura and I really liked them, unless the team 100% signed off, we didn't bring them on. And we had a couple of people that I thought were going to make it, but someone on the team was like, mm, I don't know. Okay, good enough for me because we need everybody to be very much aligned because you're operating as a team. And I believe that, that the term team has been bastardized so many times that people don't really truly understand what that concept of being a team means. And if you can understand what that concept is, where people are caring about each other, we even have a culture index for each person on the team. Like there's a reason Michelle and Rianne's looks the same. There's a reason Lynn's looks the way she does and James looks the way he does and Laura looks the way she does and mine looks the way that mine does because we're operating in, in a way that we were designed to operate. So if you don't have to do the things you don't like to do and you only do the things you like to do, instead of turning a weakness into a strength, instead we're turning strengths into superpowers because your weakness may be this other person's strength we are able to operate in a very dynamic way that allows us to go very fast, but even more so be very, very effective for our clients. So true. When everyone's playing to their strengths, that's the way that a team works out best. So is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? Man, I think you've already seen, that's probably a dangerous question to ask me because I talk so damn much. We might be on here for another 15 hours is uh, I would say that if there was one, if someone is is really trying to get their game together in this industry, there's a lot of great things you can go do, right? I mean, you know, financial analysis, building teams and all this, but just on the basic level, if you want to be successful in this industry, there's one thing you can do. Answer your phone. I am dumbfounded by How many people won't return a call, return a message, return anything, answer their phone? It just cracks me up. And then people go, well, I wonder why I never get any business. Why do you never answer your damn phone? You would be amazed at how much business you'll get by just picking up and returning that call. (laughs) The same thing. One of my top poker clients said, you guys would get along so well. Maybe I'll I'll make an intro after this, but uh, (laughs) I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh you know, I, I'm sure my listeners after this will want to contact you. So how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. The best way is to go to jspan at briggsfreeman.com. That's my email. You can find me on LinkedIn or just go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. You can find me there as well as that's where I have my show, my podcast. You can click on podcasts and watch all the different episodes. I'm going to get you in here in Fort Worth, get you in my studio. So it's going to be your turn to come on my show. All right. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Jeremy Spann, everyone out there in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Really appreciate having you on the whole experience of Marines, cop, 
MBA and then transitioning to real estate and the, the ability to then build teams and really just have this, this ability to identify strengths and weaknesses, match them together, and then communicate with people in the way they understand. I mean, all of those, those tactics are so powerful. And I really appreciate you sharing some of the things that you shared today. Thank you. Man, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks a lot, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.